listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Hey guys, I'm going to do something tonight that even though you've only seen me a few times, we, we won't normally do. And so I was talking to some of our Journey team this past week. Um, guys, there has been a lot of Heaviness. There have been a lot of us here in the journey that have actually shared and experienced maybe some, some close family members, not just distant, uh, very sick, maybe just passing away. Like I was asking them, hey, is it common because of the size of our group that this is happening in this sort of volume? And they said, no, this is, this is a little bit more than normal. And so what I'm going to do, like I said, we won't normally start like this, if you will. I just... I want you to pray with me. I'm going to ask you to, to be bold. Maybe just one hand up, just praying to the Lord. I'm going to lead us in that. And we're just going to pray to the Lord Jesus that he would prove himself to be the healer that we sing about, that we just talked about, that he is risen. And then the fact that we are united with him in his resurrection, like we don't, we don't skip the crucifixion. He died, but he rose so we can rise too. You know what I'm saying? And so at the end of the day, on, on the worst of days, I just prayed that with a brother of ours. There's realness in this, this heaviness, but we cling not only to the cross, but to the empty tomb, okay? So if it's two hands, if it's one hand, I'm gonna raise up two and just pray, God, prove yourself to be a healer. Would you kind of lift this from us and, and let us be able to focus on you? Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, I just, I ask for you, in your, in your grace and your mercy, in your kindness, God, to come and meet many of us in this place who may be struggling tonight, who definitely are struggling tonight. Holy Spirit, in a very unique way, we ask that you would, would enter this time and this space as the body of Christ Jesus is gathered together. Would you fill our hearts and our souls with the overwhelming warmth and joy and peace we're asking, Lord? Not that we would avoid suffering. That's not what I'm asking. But I'm asking that in this suffering, that in sort of this darkness, we've seen a prevalent amount, this difficulty, God, that you would usher in, oh, Holy Spirit, the fruit that we see of, of joy, of peace, steadfastness and faithfulness. And God, that we would experience, not because our situations have changed, not because our circumstances have changed, but that we would experience your love and encounter you in a true, authentic way tonight through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you guys. So um, changing gears a little bit. Um, man, I, I talking with... Katie Ritchie and Seth Cummings a little bit. Guys, we, we, we have a problem. I've, I've got to bring it up. Um, it started in their connect group a few weeks ago. And uh, kind of what's happened is that there had been one side of people that they're saying, man, I, I, I follow Seth. I like Seth and don't like Katie. Then there's the other side. They're saying, man, I, I love I love Katie. I don't care if what Seth does. He can just get out of here. And it started there. And it's actually bleeding outside of their connect group. I know. Don't try to lie. I've seen it happen. And I, and I waited to bring it up. I've known this has been going around. But it just 
this week it came to a point too far. Like some of the, the Seth followers, they're accusing Katie Ritchie of being an underground Russian spy just waiting to take over the American government when we're at our weakest moment. Some people on Katie's side accused Seth of really being involved with the drug cartel right now, running an underground movement underneath the stage right here in the venue. Guys, this is just getting ridiculous. The amount of slander we're hearing, there's fighting, you're, you're choosing sides. This is ridiculous. I can't even keep a straight face. All right. All right. So I was obviously kidding, but let's, let's keep this going. Stay, bear with me. I'll say that really was happening. And I just want to run this idea just in case they ever do decide this. They may hear tonight like, that's a great idea. Let's see what will happen. Um, that I just bring them both on stage and basically by your raise of hand, you decide who gets to stay and who gets to go. And by go, I mean like we're giving them the boot. They're out of here. Raise your hand if you think that's a good idea. Anybody? I, oh, that's sad. I really set us up. Set myself up. There were some raised hands out there. Okay. All right. So now just very intentional, specific question. How many of you know that's a bad idea? Come on, get all the hands up, please. Let's go. It's a bad idea. All right. So that has not happened, I don't think. Please tell me. Um, nothing like that in the, the journey, or much less Southcrest, I don't think has happened. So don't worry. But guys, the reality is, is that in the, the church and any ministry where sinners gather, redeemed or not by Jesus Christ, problems occur. <laughs> Those problems a lot of times look like maybe small, hopefully smaller fights, sometimes big fights and, and quarrels. The reality is, is that in the church, and we need to be on that, maybe even in the journey, there's a possibility of, of division, of us um, not being united. And so, for example, did you know that there have probably been churches, not this one, they have split over decisions like the color of carpet. Like, well, I like green. Well, I like red. They sound like that too, which is another problem, you know? Or they decide like, well, I'm going to do a different voice. I'm just going to stay with this voice. Well, I like pews. Well, I like chairs. And they sound the exact same, you know? Um, there have been churches that and people that have split over, over dumb things like this, or I like this style of worship, I like that style of worship. And so what we're talking about tonight is not hypothetical, even though I'm saying to you, I'm not aware of anything happening right now. Does that make sense? And so I'm not like kind of passive aggressively being like, I know what's going on and I'm going to preach it and act like it's not relevant. No, it, it's relevant, but just to calm your hearts, calm your souls, there's nothing going on right now, but this is, this is real. It's something that I've seen church fights, like growing up, maybe you have, we're, we're going to see it. And so part of us wanting to grow, being better before bigger is, is I want us to get into this. We all deal in the church and our lives with fighting and division at some point. So the question that comes up is, how do we actually deal with that division? So the easy answer would be what? What's the opposite of being divided? United. There you go. So that would be the easy answer by having unity, right? I think someone said like, like you literally rhymed. That's great. So we're not, we're not uh, divided. We're united, right? That's easy, right? We're done. You want me to pray? Just wrap it up. Weather's kind of bad. You're like, yeah, let's go home. Now, why can't, why can't I leave right now and just we'll be done? Well, the reason is, because if it's that easy, we would have just done it. 
hey guys, be united. You need to see, everyone's like, oh yeah, cool man. All right, let's go. And so here's the issue. We can say that, but how do we deal with divisions, really? How can we be united, not divided? And so tonight what we're gonna do is we're gonna see how 1 Corinthians chapter three shows us this. And instead of being so focused on maybe different points, what we're gonna do, we're just gonna kind of walk through the text and let Paul kind of show us this and then sort of arrive, not sort of, really, uh, arrive at an answer. And so if y'all could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter three, we're in our third week. We're gonna read verses one through four first. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? All right, so let's stop. The question we're going to continue asking, right, is, is how do we deal with division? We're hoping Paul shows us, I think, that really all of chapter 3 and Paul's writing, I think he was intentional, it's kind of sectioned into maybe some different ways that he addressed it. And here's kind of the first way that he does it. He kind of addresses it head on. He starts talking about their immaturity. He starts saying that, are you not being merely human? Are you not being merely of the world? Now, what does that mean? What he's saying is that, listen, you think that you're mature, but when I look at you, I don't see the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Like, when this stuff is going on, man, like, no difference. You're, you're acting like the world. And so then, very specifically, he's also basically just calling them infants in, in Christ. So he... He was hoping to visit a church and talk to a church where, let's say, let's just say I showed up tonight and literally there were just a bunch of babies sitting there, like real, like physical babies. It's like whining, crying, dirty diapers, everything. I'm like, this is not the journey ministry that I was called to. Like, where are the college and young adults, right? That's kind of what Paul experienced. He kind of tells them, man, I, I want to give you some, some maybe deeper spiritual stuff. Kind of using that comparison. Look, hey, I want, to, I want to give you, let's just, I want to give you a nice, thick ribeye steak. I mentioned steak a lot in my talks, by the way. Um, just a hint there if you ever want to go to lunch. Um, I just, I, I would love for you to sink your teeth into that good steak, but, but you're in this kind of baby Christianity stage where I'm just, I'm giving you milk because you can't, you can't take it. So, man, just, just letting you know, like my tone tonight, like as, as we're talking, again, I don't see these things explicitly in us, but these are hard things that Paul is saying. You see what I mean? And then what he says here in uh, verse four, he says, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Another aspect of this humanness that he's talking about is they are so fixated on something that I like to call man-centeredness. And so as you study the Bible, what you're gonna see, if you wanna really break it down, uh, there's idolatry in the Bible, but a fundamental problem of our sin, especially when we get in the church and when fights start happening, is an issue 
of man-centeredness versus God-centeredness, okay? And so here's what I mean by that. Let's flesh that out a little bit. They turned Paul and Apollos into a God, okay? They turned them into something that they never asked for. Now here's the question I wanna ask you. What were to happen if we did that here? Because I, I wanna tell you, the reason that I'm wanting to, from right here, pointing you to Christ is not just because I'm like, well, I'd make an okay God, but you know what, Jesus is better. No, as I make a lousy God, any man, any teacher, the best preacher, speaker you've ever heard makes a lousy God for you. You will be disappointed. If you come or go to a church, you leave a church because of an individual or maybe just several people because of a, of a style of teaching or like whatever, guys, you're gonna do that your entire life because you're missing the point. Those gods will fail you. They will fall off that pedestal that you build. They will fail us. I've seen that in my life. There's, I, there's guys that I love listening to, like growing up, and man, now they're like, now some different issues, but they disappoint. They're sinful, fallen human beings just like us. And I think that's what, what Paul's pointing out. Who are we that you would look at us like that? You're so man-centered, but really, let's look to God. And so that kind of goes into verses five through nine. Let's, let's pick up where we are right there. Verse five, it says, what then is Apollos? So who are we? What, what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe. Servants, he says. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So it's neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So we kind of see him in the first couple of verses. He's just addressing this issue head on, and it kind of transitions in a little part, and just he's emphasizing more and more and more, like, why are you looking at us? Who are we? And so the second way that I think that he deals with this is he wants to, if we're man-centered, where do we want to go instead? You answer, God-centered. So he's trying to get them back to that, and how does he do that? So there's a, this is a really incredible moment in my life, just an amazing day. I think it was a camp or so, just an amazing day of ministry. Like, we saw God move. A lot of us, I think, in the way that God had gifted us, had just kind of you know, like knocked it out of the park that day. Just maybe it was teaching or leading groups. And at the end of the day, we were just really excited about all that God did. And we were together with some of my, my friends in ministry. And one of my buddies said, hey, hey, this is all good. Because we were encouraging one another. That's week one, right? Um, but he said, hey, something that I've learned that's so important is that whenever you experience really good things, that maybe like this, that we pray, and he called it transferring the glory back to God. And here's what I mean. Yeah, good things happen, and, and that's good that you have giftedness, and you, and you can man, just do great and awesome things for the Lord. But what can happen is that we can drift into thinking that that was because of who? Us, and not him. And so what we did, we literally prayed. We just like, Lord, we transfer this glory back to you. We know our hearts are prone to give us glory and credit for these things, so we give it to you. Every good thing that just happened is, is because of that. And so here's the deal. That is what Paul is doing. 
He's saying, you're fighting over these men. Who are they but servants of God? They came from God. You're glorifying men. Let's throw that idol down and let's get your eyes back up on God. This is beautiful. He's saying it had nothing to do with us. I love this reference, and I'm not 100% sure that all of us are in tune with exactly what he means. But when he says, I planted, Apollos watered, that God gave the growth, I thought about this week that there is a chance that there were people who were hired when we're talking about fields. So picture maybe just any, Lubbock is filled, filled with fields. That's kind of hard to say. Picture a planter. There are some that they're just hired to plant. That's what they do. They're experts at it. They're good. And they may move on to another field, right? Other people are watering. They actually never see what happened to what they planted. You tracking with me there? And so the beauty of it is Paul sees that. He says, I don't need any glory. God told me to plant or told Apollos to water. Another person or another person planted, another person watered. But God gave the growth. He's saying, I know that God's going to do it. And here's the beauty. Just like that planter who can plant and move on and not take any glory from that growth, that's what he's saying we do. He's saying, just faithfully plant. We talked about sowing seeds of the gospel. And I didn't say it in that way. But we talked about sharing the gospel. The other way is just sow seeds. Just, man, just spread abundantly. Any chance that you get, just be a gospel witness. Have, have witness with others. Just keep it simple. You have friends, family members, roommates, whatever. And, and Paul's saying, spread those seeds. You plant, another person's gonna water, and God's gonna give the growth. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that freeing? <laughs> He says, for you are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So here's the deal. I just bought a house recently. You have to have the deed in your name. Guys, I know what that means. My name is on it. And so the thing, thing is, is that God owns this house. His name is on the deed, okay? This is his temple. So Paul's returning us to God-centeredness. Let's move on to verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, caveat here, because that can be a very, very frightening passage. Honestly, right? Let me kind of like, whoa. In this specific example, he is not saying, it even kind of clarifies in the text, though he will be saved. He's not saying that whether or not you do, and this is not just pastors and leaders. This is all of us. However we contribute to the kingdom of God and grow God's church, he's not saying, man, if you really mess that up and you look back and like, man, I that all got burned up, like that all just went away because it wasn't built on the foundation of Christ. He's not saying that you lose your salvation. It's very important to say, he's saying the works and maybe what you contribute to when tested with fire are burned up because they weren't on Christ. 
though you're saved. Now here's something I want to think about. I, I want us to have comfort. Okay, we're not talking about that. But I also don't want us to miss the weight of that. <laughs> I think it's good to maybe have a little bit of holy fear and trembling, a little bit like, I need to be really, really careful, right? About what I do upon the foundation of Christ. The idea is that God's church is holy and that there are good and bad consequences that Paul wants to draw out here. And so the good is that you receive a reward and the church is built up well. And the bad is that you could possibly damage or destroy something in God's church. The church is not built up. Everything that you did that you thought you were contributing to was burnt up. I love uh, Brandon's sermon this past Sunday. If you don't know, uh, Brandon preaches on the venue every Sunday here at 9.30, and he's just finished up and wrapped up um, a talk that he's been doing on the Sermon on the Mount. He's been doing it with Pastor David, our head pastor on Sundays. And this past week, they were in Matthew chapter 7. And it's the section that talks about building your house on the sand or on the rock. Y'all know that one? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about there. Good. And so here's what he pointed out. He said that the house on the sand and the house on the rock look the same very often. Maybe the house on the sand even looks better, maybe prettier. Got four bedrooms instead of three, right? The church not built on Jesus may look like the church that is built on Jesus. So the question that he asks is, what is our rock? Is it Jesus or not? Because what you know about sand maybe. Do we know about sand in Lubbock? All right, maybe some people know about sand. All right, is that it can harden and look like it's a firm foundation, but when rain and wind comes or whatever, it's just like whatever, maybe you're building a sandcastle as a little kid or an adult, that's cool, man. You go down to a beach, you're building a sandcastle and you're so excited, and what happens when the tide rises? It just, boom, takes it out. And you see little Timmy start crying. My first name's Timothy, I'm referring to me. This is a childhood trauma that I'm referring to. Just thought I'd get it out here. And so my sandcastle goes, down. It's sad. I built that house. I built that castle on the sand. It wasn't going to last. That's why he wants us to picture. Just like a little kid who spent, labored over that maybe for hours, just building that house, building that castle, just to see it destroyed and gone. So the question that I love Brandon left with, he said, man, what is our house built on? What is our foundation? Is it Jesus or not? And my hope is, is that we're not looking five years from now, looking back and just being like, man, all of that was just, oh, it was just waste. I don't think that's gonna happen. But I love Paul's warning here. Be careful. Christ is the foundation. You notice how it lists different materials? You see that? How it talks about uh, gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Look, some of us, when we come into this place, you're really maybe only giving God, if you want to compare, maybe some hay, some straw. See some others, they're, they're, they're laying down, they're giving their absolute best before the Lord. I don't know about you, I, I want to give God the goal, you know what I'm saying? I want to give him the best that I have. And so when I'm looking back, I know that I've done all that I can to build upon the foundation of Christ. And so if that's you, not if that's any conviction, I mean, just think about that. That before the judgment seat of God, like, and please hear me, hear grace in this, guys, like our, our works, what we've done is, is gonna be tested and through fire, what, what makes it through fire? Gold's gonna make it through fire, right? But is, is hay gonna make it through fire? No. That's 
just wants us to feel kind of the weight of this warning. Let's move on to verse 18. Let's see what else he's got to say. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Let no one boast in men. And we're going to stop right there. So I love what Paul kind of does here. He's saying, here are some things that you're doing. Be careful. And then he's like, so direct. What does he say? Stop deceiving yourself. Like, have you ever had to kind of like say to a close friend, like, you're living a lie. Like, stop. Like, I probably never used the exact words, you're deceiving yourself. You know what I mean? Like, contextualize it like, all that you're living for and all that you're doing is a lie. It's not based on truth. And so it's like, stop deceiving yourself and living this way. If you think this is it, this is not it. You ever had that moment I have where you just, man, you just thought you're just, you're just so right. And it's kind of a moment of like, dang, man, I was wrong. I think that's in grace. I think that's what Paul's wanting to do, them, do for them. And then literally he says, to the world, become a fool. Any of you ever been made fun of or maybe treated with less respect because you're a Christian? Anybody? That's right. We're, we're in the Bible Belt, maybe not as common. Ask that question in China, I get hands raised by everybody. That's not to be convicting, I'm just telling you. Worldwide, yeah, it happens. And so God is saying through Paul, hey, guess what? To the world... In all of the world's wisdom and the way the world thinks, so your worldview, how you process things, if they see you as the one who's smart and has got it all together, that's probably a problem. So what he's saying, remember that Paul said that when he preaches the gospel, the world sees it as foolish and folly and stupid. He's saying to the world, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to become a fool, right? That's hard. I, I like to appear smart. I hate, when, I hate whenever I, I, I look dumb. I'm only my third week of CrossFit. Guys, I look dumb. Like, there's some things that we have to do. Wow. It's like hurting. It. I'm trying to, trying to be like humble about it. But man, none of us like to, to look dumb. But what he's saying is that you would much rather on the day of judgment before God, God see you and say, yeah, you were wise rather than live your whole life of the world praising you and telling you how great you are to find out that it was foolish. That was just built on nothing. Then he says to stop praising men. <laughs> it's like this, it's just not a good thing to do. It's like what I said. We, any person in your life, men or women, we make lousy gods. So it's just clear action steps. Stop deceiving yourself. This is the way you're living is a lie. Abandon the world's wisdom for God's wisdom. Which I'm just gonna tell you, what, what does that look like? Basically, it's that you... You, you grab hold of this and anything that you hear, say, or believe that counters this or is against the word of God, that's how you know that is the world's wisdom. It's the opposite of God's wisdom. And so in order to do that, you're like, a typical like, Sunday school thing to do. Guys, you, you gotta get, a step at a time, you gotta get your, your head, your eyes, your heart, and attention in this book. You know, it's one chapter a day. Some of you are confused. What is the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom? The short answer that I can give you 
is get in touch with godly wisdom. And when you see worldly, you can tell the counterfeit. Makes sense. Let's move on to verse 21, the latter part of it. It says, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. I love this because what I think that Paul is doing, he's dealt with some heavy stuff, right? Pretty heavy. And at the end, what is he doing as he addresses these issues is that he encourages them. He says, who are you? You belong to Christ. You are God's. You belong to God's. Have y'all heard of the, the story about when Jesus says, I don't know if I've told you this before, when Jesus is asked, hey, should we give taxes to Caesar? And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God to what is God's. Well, what is God's? We are. The image of Caesar was, in, was put on that coin. God's image is put on us. That's who we belong to. Isn't that amazing? Isn't Jesus smart? And we're like, dang, Jesus, good stuff, man. He's God, so that's, that's cool. Man, I just, I wonder tonight, and we're talking about division, but just some of the issues and problems that we have, life struggles, is it just a matter of not remembering who we are. Like when you think about yourself, what makes you, you? What controls and determines, now listen in, the way that you think about yourself, the way that you see yourself. And, and I can totally relate. I feel like I have good days and I have bad days and I have some in between with this, but let's keep going. I feel like sometimes I'm so prone to think about myself in terms of what I do. I'm a, I'm a great human doing. I'm not a good human being. That makes sense? I forget that who I am, the ultimate child of God that God has made me into. It's a matter of, of being who he's made me to be more than who I'm made to do. And so for the, the church here, I love this. I think Paul is trying tying this back in. I think he's, he's saying to them, this is not who you are. There's some bad stuff that's been happening. We got to deal with it. But I think Paul's like, I am so encouraged because at the end of the day, I know you're in Christ. I know you're a Christian and this is not who you are. I think some of the worst things that could ever happen to us is that we get called out. We get rebuked in our sin without encouragement. You know what I'm talking about? You ever just been like, you just leave and you're like, man, that person just made me feel terrible. But let's switch that. Let's turn that on its head. Some of the best things that can ever happen to us is that other brothers and sisters or, or pastors or leaders that love us, they come to us, they kind of address some things in our lives, but they end it with encouragement. I think that's what Paul is doing. So like I said, in the context of the church being divided, that's where we're at. But guys, I, I think so much of our, our issues that we can have in life, things that we want to watch for and guard is just a matter of remembering who you are. Those moments of temptation for whatever reason it may be, and those moments of anger, and moments of anxiety, those moments of, or long periods of anxiety, depression, of times where relationships in your life are just not going well, like this, what we're reading today. At the core of it, who are you? 
Are you defined by those things? Or are you defined by who you are in Christ? We almost went a different sermon there, so let's rein it back in. So we come back to the question at the end of this. How do we deal with division and fighting? And what I see here, ironically, if we want to deal with division and we want to deal with fighting, what, we, what do we have to do? We have to fight. And I'm not saying fight back. You're like, wait, is it to fight others? That, that goes against everything that Paul just says. No, what we do, I think what Paul is communicating to us, communicating to us is that we fight for unity. All right, the reason we have to fight for it is that it won't just come, right? Unity will not just come. That's why it's been a work in progress for, for years now, a part of the desire of this culture here that this place would become more unified and, and more relational, more helpful, hopeful, and real. All of those things, you have to fight for it, all right? I want to give you kind of an example. Um, there was a, a close friend of mine, and um, I, I will just say he, he would always kind of push certain issues, um, maybe from the Bible or theology or whatever it was, and there was one day um, I got kind of flustered. I got kind of tired of it. You know what's funny? Like prideful people make other prideful people the most mad. <laughs> and that's what was kind of happening. <laughs> like he was prideful. I was prideful. We came together. It's just a mess. And so I finally just kind of got tired of it and um, <laughs> got flustered, got kind of heated. I, I felt like I remained respectful, but it was clear after that, like I was not happy with him. He wasn't happy with me. There was sharp disagreement. Guys, we, we, were, we were working together, all right? It wasn't gonna be okay. Our relationship was going to change. In all sincerity, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I do, I do feel that, <laughs> I'm not saying some pride, I do feel that I was right in that situation. But the way that I went about it was not right. <laughs> and so what I had to decide in that moment kind of similar to, I think, what Paul is kind of challenging the Corinthians and what God's maybe speaking to us tonight is I had to choose in that moment, am I going to fight for unity or just hope it works out? And so the dude lived, my friend lived on like the sixth floor um, of this apartment and there wasn't an elevator. This is important. And we walk all the way down. I'm like kind of tired. It's late at night. This is after this discussion has happened. And I kind of start going home and I stop and I remembered just some wisdom that I heard from an, really an older man that was pouring into me. And he said, wherever you go, whatever, whoever you work with, he said, you have, to, you have to fight for unity. You have to fight for it. Where division is, that's where Satan wants to come in. That's Satan's game. He's been doing it from the beginning. He's really good at dividing. That's what he does. And so guys, what's crazy, <laughs> I stop right there. I walked all the way back up the six flight of stairs. There's no elevator, you know, kind of pouting about it, but no, it was right. And I just, I come up to him and I said, I said, brother, I, I just, um, I know we talked about that there. And I just, I want to let you know that I love you and I care for you. And I want to fight for you today, right? We, we have some issues, we have some struggles, but, but I want to, I want to fight for this because I know that God's going to use us to do great things together in ministry. That was a moment of 
vulnerability for me. That was a moment of trying to, let's go back through ways that, that Paul was thinking. I mean, how immature of me, right? To have not gone back. I didn't want to. The Holy Spirit was kind of putting that on my heart. How, how immature of me to think of myself so highly that I would let this debate and argument go on and on and on. How immature of me to think that I could just leave there and that would actually be laying on the foundation of Christ in the way that he would want me to. And then how self-deceiving of me to think that I was too good to go back up those stairs and get right with my brother, right? But I think God and encouraging Holy Spirit just through an amazing moment just said, he reminded me who I am. So you get back up there and you get right with your brother. The reason I tell you that story tonight is that I think if I could sort of redeem, let's go back to the story of Katie and Seth, let's see if that happens. Guys, that sort of vulnerability of, of, of wanting it that badly, we're gonna have to be ready for that. I, don't, I haven't seen it yet, like I said. But the question is, is, is will, you, will you be willing to fight for it in the way that God's word has revealed to us? Tonight, will you take the step in order to be better before bigger? Will you take the step with us to be united and not divided? Will you fight for this together? Y'all ready? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that your, your word is so clear on this. And God, I ask that tonight that what would press on our hearts the most is that you and the links that you went to, speaking of unity, to bring us into union and relationship with you. And that because of an overflow of joy that we have and that, that we would be compelled all the more to fight for, to seek for unity with one another. I'm praying, Lord, that you would guard us in the future from that. I'm praying that you would meet us. And maybe right now, there's some unknown things. I don't know. And that that would be resolved tonight. Maybe there's even, not within the journey, but outside with, with, with families, other Christian brothers or friends. I don't know. Maybe we need to go outside of these walls and, and actually be a, a true witness and vulnerable to people that don't even know you and resolve some things to show them the gospel. Right now, as we respond, as we, we yield our hearts to you, we put up our hands to you, shine the light of your word into us, reveal to us, Lord, what we need to do and have your way in us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. You can learn more about The Journey by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for at the journey LBK.